So today we have Callie Gilbert with us and she has quite an impressive amount of titles actually. She's a, an international best-selling author. She's an award-winning filmmaker, a photographer, an inspirational speaker and she's also in the process of creating her own non-profit organization. Um, but before all of this, uh, Callie went through homelessness. Uh, and I thought that was, you know, I've heard your story and I thought it was really incredible and very inspiring to hear where you are today. So I would love for you to, to tell us a little bit about that experience and how that happened. Absolutely. And thanks so much, first of all, Louise, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and happy to be able to share the story. It's, it's quite a story and a journey. And I look back at it now and realize how truly blessed I was to experience that because it really made me who I am today. And I think, you know, when we're in the process of any type of transformational journey that's painful, we don't realize that until we're able to look back. Yeah. So I had a pretty amazing um, life growing up. I'm a former athlete. I traveled all over the world. I was really a public figure since I was a teenager. And so I had an idea of what I wanted my life to look like. And then I went to, um, after I finished, I was a figure skater. And after I finished skating, I decided to go to university, ended up getting three degrees in six years because I figured I'll do it all at once. Oh, wow. And when I... Graduated with my master's, I thought, all right, I'm set because I had experience in the nonprofit uh, sector. Mm -hmm. I had experience as an event manager and fundraising, and I loved that. And I thought, you know, this is the direction my life is going to go. I actually started my own event management consulting firm halfway through graduate school and thought, all right, there's my path. And then when I graduated, everything changed. I ended up, I graduated at the end of 2010 with this plan and I ended up losing everything in 2011. And that really kind of set my life on a different course. Mm -hmm. And at the time I didn't know why it was happening. And of course I'm thinking, wait a second, how is this possibly happening to me? I've got multiple degrees. I've got this extensive network, all this experience. And yet I find myself on the street with no home. And at the time it was, it was interesting because I went through a very transformational journey, but really an internal journey of mm -hmm. beginning to question you know, where my life was and realized that for the majority of my life, I had been living someone else's dream. Mm -hmm. I had focused on everything my parents wanted, what society expected, all of these things, but they weren't my own. And I realized even though I was finding success in different areas, it wasn't what my soul truly wanted. And Going through this massive experience of loss really allowed me to look deeper into that and realize that if I wanted to move forward, I needed to do it on my own terms. And so after the year of loss, I thought, all right, well, what do I want my life to look like? And, you know, how can I create it in a way that allows me to live authentically? I thought that was so important to really be able to create a life that I was not only proud of, but that I was, you know, really just okay with on an inner 
you know, soul conscious, you know, and it was incredible because I realized that my true passions were photography and writing and things that I had done my entire life, but were never really encouraged and were more so hobbies than they were a career track. And when I decided to focus on solely my creative endeavors, it was when the doors began to open and things began to change and shift. And I ended up in Los Angeles at the end of 2013 after spending 12 months homeless in San Francisco and with, you know, suitcase in hand and a dream. And I said, all right, you know, I'm going to start over from scratch, but this time I'm going to do it on my own terms. And by doing so, it shifted everything. It was incredible. Um, today, I'm pleased and proud to say that I have 10 best-selling books on the market. I launched my own wow. production company. Um, I've done so many things that are so in alignment with who I am that it just makes all the difference in the world. And so now I'm just so blessed. I feel so very blessed that I'm able to do that every day, wake up and do what I love, that I want to pay it forward and support other women, creative women in doing the same. Yeah. I mean, that's just so amazing. So amazing. And I mean, I guess it's really what everyone wishes for, right? So to actually be able to do and to have a job that really is your hobby, that's your passion, that's what we all want. Um, how, how do you think that you manage to do it? Um, because one thing is to, to, to say, okay, I'm going to do that now. I'm going to change my life. You know, I'm going to work with the things that make me happy. And, but how do you actually go and do yeah. that? Well, I think the most important thing is to realize that you can't do it alone. Right. And that was huge for me because of being a former athlete, being a figure skater, I mean, I was pretty much independent. You know, if I yeah. wanted to be able to pursue the sport, I needed to be the one that said, I'm going to be on the ice at six o'clock in the morning. I'm going to be the one. So it was that early discipline, right? Yeah. But that early discipline also made me very independent. So asking for help was not something that was, you know, mm. comfortable for me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I lost everything and realized I had no choice. I had to ask for help or otherwise I wasn't going to survive. And so once I realized that asking for help was not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength, because I wanted to pursue something better for my life yeah. that, you know, asking for help was going to get me to that next step. And so when I arrived in LA, I knew that I wanted to continue to write. I had a couple books published already. And that was because I reached out to those in the publishing industry and learned from those who were doing what I wanted to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I arrived in, in LA, I, went, I took the same pursuit in terms of filmmaking. I volunteered for every event I could find. I showed up at everything. And I was able to connect with amazing mentors who really guided me and supported me on this journey so that I could learn. And I think that's also important to realize is that we never stop learning. Mm. Every day is a learning experience, right? Yeah. And even if we reach these top pinnacles of success, we continue to learn because things are changing constantly in the world, right? Yep. And so I think it's important to connect with those that are doing what it is you want to do and are successful at it and then learn from them. But also approach them in a way uh, from service. You know, I think it's when you develop a relationship, relationships in, of course, film, you know, this is everything. 
right? But I think it's everything in, in no matter what, you know, career path you take. And it's really approaching it in a way that it's a win-win situation for both parties. And in a humble way, would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because when I started publishing, you know, I reached out to the San Francisco Writers Conference and I volunteered my services. And I said, look, I'm an event planner. I've got all these years of event planning. I'm a yeah. photographer. You know, I can really help you in whatever it is that you need with this event. All I want to do is learn how to publish a book. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was giving first before receiving. And I think that's that's more important to do, you know, to focus on. And I do I take that approach with everything that I do. And I mm. think that's, that's nice. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That is a great attitude. And it's something that it's also a way to connect with people. Right. Because if you offer something, if you offer services or, you know, you give something um, that automatically gets you in contact with people and if there's something that that I have also realized especially in the latest couple of years is how important networking really is it's important in our industry in the film industry but it's really important anywhere if you want to make business right exactly exactly and so yeah and you know I've moved around a lot in the last decade and what I would do wherever I would go the first person or the first Uh, organization I would connect with would be the Chamber of Commerce. Because Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, the local chamber, they know everyone, right? And so it's like, how can, you know, I'm new in town, I want to learn, I want to connect, but how can I also support you, right? And so when you make that relationship, then you grow from it. It's it's amazing. I mean, I went to, um, I guess it was 2016, I decided to, I just published my seventh book, Pearl. And I went on a four month book tour, which was amazing. And then I decided that I needed a break. I was exhausted. I just needed some time to just recharge the batteries, recoup and start working on my next book. And so I went down to Coronado Island, which is in San Diego. And I started, you know, making connections. And I remember going down there and thinking, you know, this is a wonderful place. It's tiny, but it's close to the city. It's still close to LA. I can still go back and forth. But, you know, I just need that that space. And I ended up networking with people from their film festival. They were conducting their first inaugural film festival. And so I said, look, you know, I've got film festival experience. I've put on film festivals. I've got all this experience. How can I help you? And they're like, yes, please. And so I made these amazing connections. And then when I ended up moving there, because I've got a little apartment there for a year and a half, the first person to RSVP for my homewarming party was the mayor of Coronado. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay. That's awesome. So you never know. And it's, but it's about developing those relationships, right? Yes, definitely. And Kelly, how would you say, because, um, being homeless, being without a home, I mean, it's, it, it has to be, I would say, almost a traumatic experience. How has it impacted you? Because I also imagine that maybe you feel like you have a complete uh, restart, reboot of your life. You're starting yeah. from scratch. You have nothing to lose. And you can just kind of dive into whatever. Is that exactly? Yeah, it's almost like a two-sided, right? There's the, the one side where you're like, holy crap, you know, where am I going to sleep tonight? And what am I going to eat? And am I going to be safe, right? That survival part, right? But that the ego is focused on, right? And then there's the other side that's, I have total freedom, right? I can wake up 
wherever I can find a bed, I can wake up when I want to, I can do what I want to. And there is that freedom, right? And yeah. it's amazing. I mean, it's, and, but I also think there's also part where it really puts life into perspective. I mm. think you realize when you have nothing, what's really important. Yeah. Right. Because for 12 months, all that mattered was where am I going to sleep and what am I going to eat and in my state? Yeah. That's it. Right. Nothing else mattered. If those three were satisfied, then I could worry about other things. Right. Yeah. But coming from that space, I now live my life very simple. I have a beautiful home, which I love, but I also know what's important, right? Yeah. It's like, I could lose it all and I know I would be okay. And that's the thing that because I Because really- that happened to, that happened to you, didn't it? Right. <laughs> it happened to you twice. Right. <laughs> you know? And then, yeah. and so how did that feel like coming into that experience, having already had it and knowing kind of, yeah. So it was interesting. So the first time was I was homeless for 12 months over a two and a half year period. Mm-hmm. The first time was right out of grad school. And that was for four months. And that was that first time was, Oh my God, how is this possible? That shock, right. Yeah. Of how is this possibly happening to me? And once I got through that and manifested this amazing new space and all these amazing new things, Um, when it happened the second time and the second time was interesting too, because I had manifested this beautiful life in the same place where I was living, which was great, but I had become involved in a very toxic relationship with the person who actually helped me get out of it and then turned into the devil in disguise really was a narcissist, which was fascinating to go through that experience. Yeah. And my body was basically telling me to get out of this relationship. And all I'm thinking is, no, this person helped me. I need to stay, right? And even though my friends are like, Callie, run, you know? And so my body, you know, I wasn't listening and my body began to shut down and I ended up injuring my low back very severely where I literally could not sit or stand for more than 30 minutes at a time. I had sciatica for seven months and I literally thought, on a daily basis, I was going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I couldn't work. So I ended up losing my job and the job was tied to the house where I was, because it was part of a a package deal. And so I'm out on the street again Again. and I can't move. And I'm thinking, seriously, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's like, did we do this already? And oh, by the way, no, I can't move either. Right. Let's just see how strong she really is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But What I did, which was crucial and which really changed everything was I changed my mindset Mm. because I realized that I'd gone through it before. Yes. And I had survived. Mm. And so I knew I would again. And even though I didn't have the back injury the first time, I knew that I would be okay somehow, some way. And I also decided that instead of looking at it from the perspective of victim and survival mode as I did the first time that this time I was going to look at it from the perspective of adventure Mm -hmm. I literally said I'm going to wake up every day and I'm on an adventure and where is life going to take me this week because literally you can't plan anything when you don't have anything right so I just said a week at a time you know where's life going to take me this week and by simply doing that it changed everything I mean people I hadn't seen for years 
were coming back into my life. This one woman who was from Sausalito, which is where I was, she, her mom had died and she had this million dollar house sitting on the hill that they were selling. And she's like, well, we sold the house. It's an escrow for a, you know, 30 days. Why don't you just stay at the house? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Right. And it was amazing because literally the house is empty. There's nothing there. Just this beautiful house. She literally took me to the store, bought me a a futon furniture so I could actually make a bedroom, you know, got the Wi-Fi so I could actually do some work. I mean, it was amazing what this woman did. And I'm like, you know, angels, right? Yeah. Another friend um, had a house, um, was going to Europe for six weeks with his wife. Why don't you just house at our place while we're gone, you know? And this happened back to back to back for eight months. Wow. And that's how I lived, right? Yeah. And yeah. by doing so, I was able to heal my back myself, like mm-hmm. having the rest, you know, and being some type of stability, right? Because that's what the spinal column is all about, stability, yeah. right? And did you get out and of that toxic relationship as well? Ex- yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And that was huge. And yeah. so then it was interesting where I thought I had found a new home, an apartment in Sausalito. And I was so happy because I was like, I've been living out of different places, you know, like every month, like, where am I going to be, you know? And then literally days before I was about to write the landlord a check, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, but my current tenant has decided to stay another month. And this was September of 2013. And so I thought, well, you know, I have some money now. I'm selling books. I'm doing well. You know, I've got money saved, you know, for a home. Um, I'm just going to go to Los Angeles, to Santa Monica, and I'm going to literally sit on the beach for two weeks, you know, and continue to heal. And then I'm going to go to San Diego for two weeks and do the same thing and sit on the beach and heal. And then I'll move in October 1st. That was the plan. And, or November 1st. And I get to Santa Monica and it was like, all of a sudden, I just felt completely at peace. My back felt so much better. The weather was better, right? It wasn't as damp. It wasn't in the Bay Area. And I thought, you know what? My whole world's in a box, right? In a storage container, right? And I have the money saved up. And what if I just stayed? And it was like in that moment when I said that, it was like the universe went, she's in alignment. Yeah. And the very next day I met, this is October of 2013. I met Elizabeth Gilbert from Eat, Pray, Love. And it was like this instant soul, sister, kindred spirit connection. Right. And then the day after that, I met my partner who oh, we were wow. still together, you know, eight years later. Wow. And it was like, everything shifted. It was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. To see. And so you yeah. stayed there. I stayed, I stayed. Santa Monica became home and it was the best decision I ever made. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's really quite amazing. And it's, um, I mean, it's obviously now a, a story of success, right? It's a, with a happy ending. Um, the thing is, when I hear the, the word homeless, and especially when I hear it connected with a woman, I think many of us have a tendency to think about um, either a prostitute or drugs involved or, you know, someone just lying there on the street and uh, maybe someone who's too lazy to find a job or to do something about pull themselves up and... What do you, what will you say to people who, 
who have those images. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a stereotype, right? Yep. It's the drug addict, the mentally ill, the criminal. Yeah, that's it, right? Truth is, it can happen to anyone, you know, and if you talk to people and take a poll, you know, many will say, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm a paycheck away, or, you know, two paychecks yeah. away, it could happen to anyone. And especially after what we've gone through this last year, mm. you know, you yep. just never know what's going to happen to the world where, you know, someone can have, I know people that have had car accidents and literally just can't work anymore. And so there's no income, right? Yeah. So it's so many different ways that it can happen, but it can happen to anyone. And I think it's important to, um, to focus on that and to realize that there aren't these specific demographics that, you know, and what I wanted to do, and which was my first film, Invisible, that came out in 2019, I wanted to focus on prevention. Because I figured, I said, look, I said, there are so many organizations and nonprofits that are there to support the homeless once they become homeless, right? We don't want them to get there in the first place, right? So what can we do to prevent that from happening, right? And so the nonprofit that I'm working on setting up right now is to support creative women who are in transition, who are either currently homeless or on the brink or just getting out of it. And supporting them in starting their own businesses through entrepreneurship, mentoring, and wow. training. Because I believe that if a woman or a man um, has the skills and the talents that they can share with someone else and start a business, that's one way to prevent homelessness. Yeah. You know? And what I realized, too, is what I learned during my experience was I wanted to work. I applied for hundreds and hundreds of jobs. And no one was giving me that opportunity because all of a sudden I was designated as overqualified having all these degrees. Really? Yes. I literally had people tell me more than one occasion, don't put the degrees on your resume. You can't win. You can't. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, well, then why did I just spend all these years of my life and how much money on this education? Right. So it's really, you know, and that's what I say in the movie. I said, look, if someone is applying for a job, it's because they want to work. They want to work. And even if they are overqualified, at least give them the opportunity to, you know, show what they can do. Right. It's like how many people out there right now, you know, want to work and are just not given the chance. Yeah, exactly. What about Kelly? I'm thinking how do you feel about um, this whole <laughs> community of social media that we have created, all of us really, um, over the last couple of years, uh, where we're all very um, busy trying to make it look as if our world and our lives are perfect? You know, we upload all these amazing photos of our homes or of our you know, travel or jobs or whatever. How does that feel to you? I wonder, because you were talking about before how, when you were homeless, it really, you know, put things in perspective to have. Yeah. um, I've seen it slightly changing where people now are, you know, posting photos and videos of them, you know, with no makeup and with no, you know, going, this is who I am. Right. Yeah. And I, that's so important, so important, especially for the younger generation coming yeah. up, 
right? I mean, they're seeing all this going, oh my gosh, I want to be that. And it's like, no, just be yourself, yeah. right? Um, there's an amazing book, uh, which I, I love and I share with a lot of friends called The Four Agreements and by Don Miguel Ruiz. I love that book because it's so simple. It's, you know, don't take anything personally. Why should you, right? You're this unique beautiful person with your own unique, beautiful gifts and talents, right? It's like, share that with the world, shine, you know, and there's only one of you, right? And, you know, don't make assumptions. I think that's, that's another huge one, because it's like, we always assume when we see these things, that that's the life, we really don't know what's behind that, you know, facade, right? Um, I don't think it's fair to judge anyone, simply because we're not in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we see only the outside. Right. We don't know what their experiences are. We don't know how they grew up. We don't know, you know, what beliefs were instilled in them when they were young. Right. So many things that we don't know, but that we couldn't possibly relate to. So mm-hmm. how could we possibly judge another human being? Right. I mean, all these little things that it's, it's simple. It's so simple. But, it's, you know, we're looking at, you know, the media, of course, has this way of, you know, I I mute commercials, you know, I rarely yeah. watch TV, but I, I literally mute commercials yeah. because it's all about um, illnesses and everything that's wrong. And it's, mm-hmm. it's all fear-based. It's completely fear-based. Completely. Yeah. Completely I agree. Fear-based, you know, and, you know, sometimes it's like, I'll hear them say one word. I'll, I'll immediately mute because I know I'm like, oh gosh, here we go again. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, come on, you know, it's like, stop this. It's like, So now when I want to create and when I want to make, you know, art, I want to do it in a positive, positive light Mm. so that people know there is, there is good out there. There is, you know, positivity out there. There is a world that we can create, you know, we've been given, you know, I, I look at 2020 and I go, what a beautiful experience 2020 was in that it gave us now this blank canvas. Right. Right. It gave so us you a can really, yeah, you can really relate to that. Exactly. Because when I had sense. nothing, I had the blank canvas. I was like, yeah. what do I want to create? Right. Yeah. Well, the world has been given this blank canvas yeah. and now it's our choice. It's like, what do we want to create? What type of world do we want to create? One yeah. based on fear and, you know, all this money hungry, you know, life or one based on love and kindness and, and compassion and generosity. And, and, you know, we've got a choice. Yeah. This beautiful choice and it's what direction do you want to take don't you think i mean i've uh, this is it's very interesting that you talk about this now because it's something that i've been given a lot of thought <laughs> um what has happened the last year especially how the press and media and journalists have acted right so how they have taken this uh, the pandemic a, it was a crisis situation yeah at some point but they completely infused it with fear and every single piece of news that got through to us was, you know, fear-based. Um, exactly. and, it, and, it, and it got to the point where you didn't, you know, you couldn't believe, well, you could maybe believe the numbers, but you couldn't understand the numbers. So right. there was also a lot of um, misinformation and just like on purpose trying to give an image of these are really high numbers and so and so many people are dying and but you know they were talking about percentage this or so many per week or so many per day and you couldn't 
you know, or at least I was just not able to compare all these numbers and know, okay, right. so a hundred, does that sound a lot, like a lot or 100,000? And then we heard, you know, us here in Europe, we heard numbers from the States and you're just so much bigger. So the numbers is like, it makes no sense. In my head. Right. Yeah. And I think there is a, actually a big problem and it's something that needs to be corrected because I think uh, the press and media have really, really crossed the line. They have, and I think too that it's it it started that didn't just start with this pandemic. It's, no, no, it's been it's been ongoing, right? It's it's yeah. what it's what makes the tabloids basically, yeah. right? Because it's all about the money, mm-hmm. what sells, right? Yeah. And if it's not something that's horrible and dramatic, it's not going to sell. The good news stuff doesn't sell, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. so we've got to yeah. we've got to terrorize and scare the world. <laughs> Or they're not going to believe anything, right? And it's just like, come on, people, you know? Yeah. I remember watching on TV a, a couple of years ago um, this beautiful TV show called God Friended Me. And it was on CBS and it was only around for two seasons. And it was amazing. It was incredible writing. It was good, heartwarming, beautiful stories. Each episode was just, you were enthralled in this positive light, right? Such, and I was like, that's what we need. We need more of that. And of course they yanked it, right? (laughs) And it was just like, oh my gosh, people, you know? And that's the thing. It's like, if it's good and it's beautiful and it shows, you know, a loving world, you know, and compassionate people, it doesn't sell. It doesn't make money, you know? Yeah. And so that's why I, as a filmmaker, know that everything that I do is going to have a social impact, but it's going to have a positive outlook on it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I made a film about homelessness, but I focused on the preventive aspect of it, yeah. right? Yeah. And yes, I will make, you know, films about the environment and I will focus on the positive aspects of it, right? Yeah. That's the thing. It, it's, looking at each of us individually and saying, how can we take our gifts and our talents and our expertise and share that with the world in a positive light to still make a difference, but make a difference in a way that moves people forward in a positive light and not moves people because of fear. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, it's also a question of of ethics, right? I mean, <laughs> journalists, they used to have ethics and they used to have certain, a certain certain set of rules of what you can do and what you can't do. And and I remember kind of in the beginning of the pandemic uh, when, yeah, it was probably when it came to Italy. Italy was really, really hard hit in the beginning. And we were all kind of, you know, standing here on the side watching Italy and thinking, oh, my God, when is, when is it coming into Spain or when is it coming into the rest of, the, of Europe? And I remember seeing journalists out on a field like there was nothing around them. It was not a city. It was it was out on the field. They were reporting from there and they were wearing a mask. <laughs> And this was obviously way before we even started thinking about wearing masks and they were wearing yeah. this mask. And it was just, it was such a, um, you know, it was a thing that they did on purpose to infuse the fear. And, you know, it, it reminded us of some sort of horror movie or I don't know, but it was really terrible. And I thought, wow, these are the tactics that they're using now to yeah. 
you know, to sell their little piece of story. It's, it's really quite scaring also scary also because you're relying on absolutely on the news, right? Because you want to be informed and you want to watch news. And, and, and when you turn off, well, you say you turn off commercials, Mm -hmm. but I even turn off the news sometimes because I don't watch the news at all. I'm sick of it. I don't watch it at all. Yeah. Right. No, and, and, and what I sort skim, of I skim the headlines, you yeah. know, and that's it. Yeah. You know? yeah. So yeah, I don't watch it at all. And it's interesting too, um, the politics, right? Mm. So for four years, I didn't watch anything to do with our former president. None of it. None of it. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, I watched four days of the presidential election coverage for the new president. Yeah. Four days. And even that was a lot, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and I haven't watched anything since. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I know for me, energetic, so I'm an empath to begin with. Right. So oh, okay. very sensitive when it comes to energy. Right. Explain um, a little bit about that, because yeah. I know what it is, but for people who don't know. So an empath basically not only feels their own emotional triggers, right. Fear, happiness, sadness, mm-hmm. We feel that of the collective consciousness of, of the world, okay? Yeah. So if we're in a, a large crowd that, you know, they're all in a state of fear, we basically are taking all of that in yeah. ourselves. And it can be overbearing at times. And mm-hmm. I've been in situations where I've been in different rooms and at times where it's just the, the negative energy was I had to get out of there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... So, and I've done it, I've experienced it also with one person, you know, and so just being in a room with one person, whoa, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's amazing. It's how triggering it is. Yeah. And so I know for me personally, for my own well being, that there are certain things that I just can't, you know, put myself in tune with. And the yeah. news is one of it, <laughs> you know? So it's like, don't watch the news. Politics yeah. is another, I just don't, don't deal with it, you know? Yeah. And so it's interesting to see, you know, but you have to, you have to make that choice though, right? You have to say, this is what I'm going to allow into my life. And this is what I'm not right. And make those strong boundaries, you mm-hmm. know, put them in place and then stick with them. Right. Yeah. And cause I'll find, you know, where I'm, you know, Sometimes uh, there are times where I'll be like, well, let's just see, you know, and you can get addicted to it. I mean, you know, Facebook feeds, <laughs> right? Totally. Like, yeah. Oh my God. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. That's why I don't have Facebook on my phone. I'm like, no, no, thank you. I go in, I do my work, I get off, <laughs> you Good know? Idea. And that's the thing because it is, it's addicting, you yeah, know? Yeah. And especially after this last year with everything being Zoom, right? There are the benefits. Yes, we can connect from one country to another, which is wonderful, right? But after a while, it's just like, enough, enough. You know, it's like I've made a point that I don't do any Zoom calls on the weekends. I'm Mm. Zoom-free weekends, right? And it's like, no, can't do it. And then I also, which I think is important for the entrepreneurs out there, is that I work from home. We're all working from home now, right? But we're working, Right. So it's like nine to five. That's my working hours. Right. After five, everything turns off. Right. And so 
that's why I don't do evening calls on Zoom. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, workday's yeah. over. You know? Yeah. And it's so easy to say, oh, but you know, then you know, one turns into the another turns, and then that you're doing it all the time, right? So it's really important to set those boundaries to realize what works best for you, uh, for your own mental well-being, for your own overall well-being, and yeah. then stick with it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great advice because it, it is very, very easy to get addicted to, you know, any type of social media, really. That just like scrolling through that feed. You know? <laughs> um, so so yeah, that is great advice. Um Callie, what would you say to people who are now inspired by your story? Obviously, we're not going to tell them to lose their home and go <laughs> be yeah. homeless. But people who might say, you know, I would love to have sort of a restart or, you know, change my life in some some way. How do you do it? Because often, I don't know, I think you can often say you want the change, but to actually go and do it, uh, you need yeah. something extra, right? Is there yeah, any? well, I think it's important. Well, I, I'm a big believer in writing things down. I mean, mm. literally putting pen to paper. I think it's energetically, I think it's so powerful. Um, and then expressing your dreams to other people, right? Yeah. It's like saying it out loud. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Speaking yeah. it out loud, right? And um, when you share your dream, it becomes real, right? Mm. Keep it to yourself. It doesn't. It's just a dream. And so, you know, start with a piece of paper, write down, you know, my ideal life looks like, and then literally write down every aspect of it. Where do you live? You know, do you live there alone? Do you have a family? Do you have children? Do you have pets? You know, all these different things, you know, that a lot of us, you know, just kind of go through the motions with, right? But it's like, what really do you want it to look like? And then what do you, what's your ideal day look like? You know, do you wake up in the morning, with an alarm clock. I don't have an alarm clock, right? I wake up when my body is ready to wake up, right? And that's that in itself is a huge gift, right? And, you know, what do you do in the morning? Do you have a morning routine? Do you, you know, just go to the phone, to the computer first thing, you know? It's like, how do you take care of yourself? I think self-care is huge, especially Mm. these days with everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, do you have that time? Do you make that time for self-care, whether it's exercise, whether it's just getting out and walking around the block, whether it's uh, meditation, there's so many different things, different modalities that you can incorporate into self-care. And people have to find just the thing that's right for them. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Because Everyone I, is different and unique. Right. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. if you've got, you know, a household with kids running around and, and schooling and all this, you're not going to have time to take an hour out of your day yeah. <laughs> and just be, it doesn't work, <laughs> but you can take five minutes. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then those five minutes of just being quiet and just being, your, you know, with yourself yeah. can make, you know, over time, a huge difference. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And just no, get clear. I think it's getting clear on what it is that you want. And then every day, just taking a simple action step towards that goal mm. that gets things started. Yeah. It's a good place to start. Yeah. And I think just changing one thing in your life can, can get it started, you know, just Absolutely. taking a decision to change one thing, which can be, you know, meditate, or I'm going to go to that class of, I don't know, I'm going to say martial arts because that's what I do. <laughs> but anything you know that can maybe break the routine and set you off on your own little adventure (laughs) yeah Yeah. 
And the thing is too, is don't be afraid to dream big. Mm. You know, I think people, you know, they dream and then they're like, well, you know, I'm good because internally they can only see like the small part, right. Of that dream. When it's like, you know, I knew I had this dream probably like literally 30 years ago that I wanted to retire at 50 and I wanted to have a home by the sea. That was it. Right. And I just put it out there and went on with my life. Right. But it was out there. Yeah. And so as I'm going through all this massive, massive transformation, you know, that dream was still there. Right. And I turned 50 last year and got my home by the sea. You know, And so it's like it it can happen, but you have to start with something. Right. You got to be willing to take that first step and and do your part. Um, I think it's amazing. And I think this is really what was key to me in the last year is realizing, like I said at the beginning, that you have to ask for help and don't be afraid to, you know, do your part, but know that you're never alone. And when I talk about manifesting these huge dreams, I'm talking about looking at source, at God, at the universe, at whatever it is that you believe in Mm. and look at it as co-creation. Once I focused on directing my life as a co-creator, oh my gosh, things went to a whole new level because I wasn't alone anymore. I was like, okay, I know I can do my part and I can, you know, say, this is what I am. I'm clear about my dream and the rest will take care of itself. And once you do that, it's amazing to see what shows up in your life. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm so happy that you're on here today because it's so inspiring to hear you talk. And I think, you know, especially women, uh, we do have a lack of role models, I think, in general throughout the history. And, you know, we're trying to create more of those now. um, And you're definitely one of them. Um, And not only are you showing today, and I think there's also an important part of it, and that's the embarrassment to overcome that. And like you say, um, ask for help if you are in a bad financial situation or if, yeah, um, yeah. if you feel like you, you can't handle your life or to not be embarrassed about it and to reach out for help. Right? Exactly. And I also want to add to, to the embarrassment factor in that realizing that when you make mistakes, for instance, with my personal uh, experience, becoming involved with the narcissist, right? Right. At the time, I felt like I didn't have a choice because I literally had nothing. This person came into my life, put a roof over my head, found me a job, got me back on my feet, right? And so I thought, I'm grateful, right? Then when this person changed, I could have left, but I stayed. And so I could be beating myself up for that for years, right? But instead, I chose to realize that even that person, as horrible as the situation was, was a gift. Mm -hmm. Because what happened was after I left that relationship and moved to L.A. and started over, I was in such a space of self-love. And I learned to love myself because I didn't respect myself when I was with that person. Yeah. Right. So that's the thing is you may be embarrassed looking back at things that you did and mistakes that you made. But if you look at it from a perspective of it was a lesson. Yeah. Right. 
what a gift that was because it really taught me this right it makes all the difference in the world and i really really love when people speak out about taboos or things that can be considered by society to be embarrassing uh, because it really does inspire other people it helps other people and it also helps to normalize certain things that don't necessarily need to be a taboo you know as you said it can happen to anyone uh, all of a sudden be without a home Um, I I had a a younger girl um, on one of these talks as well previously and she has a terrible past. She got into gang environment um, from the early age of 13 and has suffered multiple rapes and sexual abuse and alcohol and drugs and has really had a tough life. Um, And so easy to judge this girl, you know? Um, And and she's definitely being judged by by society and how she acted, how she dressed, um, her look, her everything. But she so was so brave and decided to, first of all, change her life. So she um, completely got clean and she went to acting school and graduated as an actress and has set her life straight. And she has chosen to be outspoken about what she went through and, and not to be embarrassed about it. And I think that's just you know, it's so inspiring and, and it's so important that people do that when they go through things like that, because it exactly. absolutely normalizes it, normalize it and it, it takes away the taboo and it makes other people, you know, be able to come out and talk about it and, and get help. So absolutely. And that's the yeah. thing is realizing that you're not alone. You know, yeah. when someone speaks of their exactly. traumatic experience, you know, even if you don't experience that same thing, there may be part of it that you can relate to. Yeah. Right. And then it's like, Oh, I'm not alone. You know? Okay. I can, I can now share what I've gone through with maybe one more person Mm -hmm. who then can find me, you know, support. And then when I share more and more, then I'm actually helping others. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it becomes this trickle down effect, which is amazing to see that, you know, your experience has taught you things that can now help other people. Yeah. And that actually ends up empowering you. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, Kelly, thank you so much for being here today. It's oh, really been, so it's been amazing. I know you have your playful, you have so many things going on. So I really appreciate you <laughs> taking the time to be here today. Um, is there anything you want to, you know, anything you want to say in the end, or do you have any, um, now that we talk about social media, <laughs> social media or websites or any project you want to let us know about that we can, where we can find you? Yeah. So uh, CallieGilbert.com is my website. It's C-A-L-I Gilbert.com. And that has all my information on it, my films and projects. And I think our training. Oh, sorry. You're muted. There we go. Just wanted the train just went by. Oh, okay. Good. Thank you. Okay. There we go. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, CallieGilbert.com has all my info on it and uh, all my social media and everything. So Perfect. So we can go there and stalk you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Callie. Have a nice Thanks day. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. See you soon. Bye. Bye.